I greet you in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's so remarkable that we're singing this worship songs, and I'll be preaching briefly about Paul and the believers' role in the gospel. But now, it, when we were singing these songs, it was taking me back to the conversion of Paul because Paul claims to be the chief among sinners. And yet, with his encounter on the road to Damascus, his heart was changed. He was the one who was killing believers. Thank you, Gershom. He was the one who was killing believers just for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But isn't it amazing what the Lord can do in the heart of a so-called murderer? And so who are we? This morning I want to also say thank you to the leadership of the church for affording me the opportunity to be sharing God's word with you this morning. Um, I was thinking, must I give a bit of background about myself? But I'm irrelevant, man. Let's just get into the word. We will be getting a scripture reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we will be reading from verses 15 to 27. Verses 15 to 27. And it reads as follows. But I have used none of these rights and have not written this to make it happen that way for me. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. And this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. For I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because an obligation is placed on me. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For I do this Willingly, I have a reward, but if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a stewardship. Verse 18 says, what then is my reward? And listen to this, bearing in mind Paul's conversion to preach the gospel and to offer it free of charge and not to make full use of my authority in the gospel. Although I am a free man and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, speaking of the Gentiles, like one without the law but not being without God's law, but within the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do this, I do this all because of the gospel, so I may become a partner in its benefits. Then verse 24 reads, Don't you know that the runners in the stadium all race, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it 
to receive a crown that will fade away. Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after my preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you will speak to us through your word and through your Holy Spirit, which will illuminate the word for us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I tend to get very loud when I get excited. I'm just saying it up front. Because I can hear myself and I'm, it sounds very echoey. And I'm like, hey, I'm trying to get excited, but I can't help it. But the Bible says self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? <laughs> The church in Corinth is known for its issues concerning worship, concerning spiritual gifts. There was even controversy around the communion table. Sexual immorality was also an issue in the church. There were some believers in the church of Corinth that were reluctant to give financially. And I didn't read this information from an extra-biblical source. If you read the first Corinthians in one setting, you will discover that the issues, these are the issues that Paul is addressing, which means these are the ills in the church of Corinth. And so the Holy Spirit leads the Apostle Paul to write to the church and address these issues. One of the issues that Paul also addresses is his role in the advancement of the gospel. Hence, I coined the sermon title as the believer's role in the gospel. The Apostle Paul is not around anymore. The church of Corinth is not around anymore. But here you and I are. Here we have experienced the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And scripturally we are referred to as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special Possession, compassionate language, affectionate language used by Peter. Why? So that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. First Peter 2 verse 9. That is a sermon on its own, but it means now that you are born again, you are eligible and you are also called to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. In other words, testify to what the Lord has done in your life and how he has saved you and what he is doing in your life and what he is doing through your life. Coming back to the text. So Paul is addressing the church in in the context of him doing the work of the Lord in the church by mainly preaching the gospel, but he wouldn't allow the church, who is somewhat spiritually ill-disciplined in the sense that they are not giving to the Lord. They are not giving to the Lord. 
And we are talking about finance here amidst other issues. And that is indicative of one's spiritual health. And again, that's a sermon on its own. The church doesn't want to remunerate Paul for his labor in the church. And we will see shortly why. But Paul does not allow this to deter him from that which, from that which God has called him to do, which is primarily to preach the gospel. From this passage of scripture, which is a very real event in the history of the church, especially in Corinth. God's word, people, is not a fairy tale. It is not a romantic story. It is true. It is God's word. And I believe there are lessons that we can learn from this passage in scripture. There are lessons that we can apply to our daily lives as believers. And if we have to put our feet our, shoe, our feet in the shoes of Paul or in the, our feet in the shoes of the, of the church, there are certainly some lessons that we can learn from this. And so my title this morning is The Believer's Role in the Gospel. Now usually I don't like to give sermon titles and points because I don't like to interfere with, with God's Word. The text, as we engage the text, the text will speak to you itself without me adding bells and whistles. But be it as it may, I also recognize that having some points doesn't cause harm as long as it reflects scripture. Having said this, I have three brief points this morning. And not because I'm a Baptist, because Baptizing three point sermons. No, no, no. That's not, that's not why I'm, I have three points. I just saw three points in the text. Okay? I don't know. I, I don't, I wear glasses, but it's not Baptist glasses that I wear. It's glasses. I must go get me new ones now in any case. The first point is, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. The second point is, becoming a slave for the sake of the gospel. And lastly, what is the motivation behind this? So that I can become a sharer or a partaker or partner in the gospel. For some reason I want to say stay gold, but I don't want to sound too businessy. So over to the first point. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Let's go to verse 15. But I have not used any of these rights. Now one never starts a sermon on a conjunction. A conjunction is a joining word like and or but. This verse starts with but. But I have not used any of these rights. What is Paul talking about here? What rights is he referring to? Let's go back to verse 1 in chapter 9. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you, <laughs> are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? He's posing this question to the church. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Verse 5 says, Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a Christian wife like other apostles or the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do Barnabas and I alone have no right to refrain from working? Verse 7 says, and this is where we start seeing what Paul is actually saying. Whoever goes to war 
Whoever goes to war at his own expense. Who goes to war at their own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Who shepherds a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. In other words, don't be a stumbling block to the ox that is laboring for you so that the ground can be fertile and produce crops that you may benefit from. Don't you be that stumbling block. Is God really concerned with oxen? Verse 10 says, Or isn't He really saying it for us? Yes, this is written for us because he who plows ought to plow in hope and he who threshes should also do so in hope of sharing the crop. And so he's building his argument, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, how don't we even more? As the one laboring for you. As you are my, I've led you to the Lord. It's basically Paul's argument. However, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. So, despite the hardships the Apostle Paul is facing with the church, he won't allow that to hinder him from that which God has called him to do, which is to preach the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food of the, eat the, food of the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by preaching the gospel or by the gospel. And now verse 14 comes in and says, But I, Paul, have not used any of these rights. I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. Very important church. Paul is not writing to the church to persuade them now. In light of what I said, come. You must now pay up. That is not the sense in which he's writing. Paul says, well, I would rather die than allow someone to deprive me of this boast. Now firstly, and here's a challenge for us, who would die? Who would rather die than to allow someone to prevent them from being in ministry? Who would rather die than to have someone say, you're not going to preach the gospel? If I had to ask this morning, let's raise our hands if we agree with Paul on this matter that we declare today that we will rather die than not preach the gospel. Who would show up their hands? Moreover, and more importantly, who would rather die than not share the gospel? To Paul, to be alive and not being able to lead others to the Lord means that his life is fruitless. There's no purpose for him to be alive. And which is such a con uh, 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 paradox because if you look at Paul, before he came to Christ, he was killing Christians. 
He was killing Christians. And now he says, if I cannot make Christians in the sense of preaching the gospel, then I will rather die. The same Paul who has experienced the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ chooses to rather die than to be fruitful for the Lord. He'd rather die. Now again, another challenge here for us as individuals. Can we identify with Christ on this matter? Does this passage describe the quality of our personal dedication to the Lord? One day at at my friend's uh, birthday, they asked me to say something and I preached the gospel. (laughs) So that friend told me, Ethan, why must you always do that? And obviously he is lost. And the funny thing is when he's got problems, he comes to me. But in any case, in any case, And don't for a second think that I'm preaching down on you. This word, I don't know when last I got a lekker hiding. The last time I got a hiding, I think I was still in primary school. My grandfather hit me with a belt. I don't know, I can't remember what I did. And then there were some lashes on my skin. But this felt worse because we are dealing with important aspects here. We are dealing with the Lord and ourselves, And that is more serious than anything else. But okay. Paul is not boasting because he wasn't only preaching the gospel, but that he preached the gospel irrespective whether he was by means or whether he was not by means. The proclamation of the gospel had to be the order of the day. Period. One theologian comments on this verse by stating that Paul preached the gospel without asking his hearers for support. He didn't care what he was going to eat, where he was going to lay his head to rest. But look at verse 16, which really puts this verse into, into proper context. Verse 16 says, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Now in Greco-Roman culture, to work with your hands was seen as something that would be looked down upon. In today's culture, we're probably looking at the blue-collar workers, or manual laborers, farm workers, drivers, yes, your favorite taxi drivers too, mechanics, builders, etc., tent makers, of which Paul was one. And of course, the believers of Corinth subscribed to this ridiculous ideology that if you work with your hands, you are less than. You are less than. Which is actually such a contradiction because Paul was actually a learned man. But if you read Acts chapter 18 verse 3, that Paul, I almost said tent-making ministry, He was a tent maker. Why was he a tent maker? To support himself in the ministry. Because he wouldn't allow an ill-disciplined church that doesn't want to take care of him financially to deter him from the task which the Lord has given to him. And if you go do do further research, you will find that tent making was a labor-intensive 
and a very demanding job, which could take a few days to complete one tent. But okay, I'm not going to go into that now. The main reason why Paul doesn't boast in preaching the gospel is because he is only, he is anyway compelled to preach. So irrespective of time, irrespective of circumstances, irrespective of occasion, we can expect to, for Paul to just start preaching the gospel due to his divine compulsion. What do I mean by that? By God, by His Spirit, nudging Paul to preach the gospel. Because I can tell you now, your flesh, your flesh and my flesh, doesn't want us to preach the gospel. It can only be the Lord through the unction of His Holy Spirit to spur you on to share the gospel. But further on in verse 16 we see Paul says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. The term woe, alimono in Greek, grief means grief, anguish, suffering, tribulation. Not only would Paul wish to die if he cannot preach, but let's say he doesn't die and he still cannot preach the gospel, then he is inviting hardship into his life. He is inviting tribulation into his life. He is calling on anguish upon his life because for him to love means to preach the gospel. And if I cannot preach the gospel, then I want to die. But if I cannot die, then I want to have a miserable life. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Verse 17 says, I preach voluntarily. Not because the church expects me to. Not because uh, people are monitoring me and to see if I'm worthy of my wage. But I am compelled to preach and I do so voluntarily, willingly, by choice. A sign of obedience to the Lord and spiritual maturity. Oh, how wonderful the body of Christ would be if we stop faffing around and each member would just willingly, voluntarily serve the Lord and the body of Christ. When all the parts of the body come together in submission to the head, which is Christ himself, how lovely it would be when the whole body of Christ, every believer operates under the compulsion of the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to be spiritually mature to serve the Lord in the context of the church. All you need to do is to be obedient. And then you will see how you will grow. Then you will see how you will grow. give a drink. Serving the Lord in the context of the church, but more specifically in sharing the gospel, you just need to be obedient. That's all. That's all. Verse, further on verse 17 says, I have a reward, if not voluntarily, I am simply just discharging trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this. That in preaching the gospel, I may offer it, pardon, free of charge. And so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Pardon. In other words, Paul was happy to preach the gospel without 
adding a cost to it. And he saw preaching the gospel as a reward because in this era, <laughs> in this era, preachers would add a cost to preach the gospel. They turned it into a, what, please help me, entrepreneurial, is that the word now? They turned it into an entrepreneurial venture, business venture, and Paul ever said, no, I am compelled to preach the gospel. Whether you pay me or not, I'm going to preach the gospel because that is what the Lord has called me to do. He preached voluntarily and under compulsion. Woe to Paul if he doesn't preach the gospel. On to the second point. Becoming a slave of man for the sake of the gospel. Though I am free, verse 19, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Church, this should characterize our ministry. A good friend and colleague of mine, MacDonald in Zua, he's the associate pastor to Pastor Willem Achenbach at Mowbray Baptist in Cape Town. I'm just saying in case you know them. And he coins this term or this phrase as incarnational ministry. We incarnate with the congregation. We do life with the congregation. We enter into their world. We get to know them on their level. And from there we share the love of Christ on their level. And we love them accordingly. We minister to them accordingly. And that is what God did. He didn't just shout from heaven, I love you. What did he do? He incarnated. He came and dwelt among us. Took on human form. The lowest form of a human being. He took on the form of a slave. He did this as a demonstration of the Father's love for us, but also to reconcile you and I to himself, to the Father. Jesus became a slave for us. Paul is just following suit. So how dare we think that we can reach others with the gospel if we ourselves do not want to incarnate? If we ourselves do not want to deny our comfort and climb out of our safety net for the sake of the gospel. We have missionaries currently at our church, Rosa Baptist, and this missionary made this analogy of entering a home that doesn't smell very nice and the people offer you a cup of tea or whatever the case may be and here you see a fly chilling there on the cup. You must drink that cup. <laughs> Why? Why must we do that? If you look at the end of verse 19, it says, Why must we become a slave to man? To win as many as possible. Okay, I obviously would take that thing out without them trying to take it out, without them seeing but if it means I must drink the tea, I will drink the tea so that you can come to Christ. The one missionary, um, Junita Abrams, asked us a very important question. And this is where I felt the Lord just coming down on me. Because the, the Lord rebuked 
Because we loves. She asked this very, very important question. I don't want to say, yeah. Hoeveel siele het jy gelei na die Heere sedert 2023? How many souls have you led to the Lord since the beginning of 2023? She asked us a question in the Bible study, in the, in the sermon on Sunday. Immediately, immediately, I felt so heavily convicted. And I had to repent right there in that service. Despite me being a pastor to the congregation, I have neglected my number one calling, which is to share the gospel. Because I, before I am anything in the church, I am a child of God. And I have the responsibility to evangelize. And I failed God. And I say this, it's not a nice thing to say, especially as a leader, but I'm honest. I have failed God. It is every child of God's responsibility. And then she further made this analogy to ask that, let's just say you were supposed to die today or tomorrow or whenever. How are you going to give account for your lack of stewardship of the good news? What are you going to say? It doesn't matter how involved in church you were, Keaton, how well you sang, okay, can only sing how well you sang, how well organized the service was, how faithfully you've tithed. Why did you not share the gospel? This morning I ask you that same question as Utenek Baptist Church. How many souls have you led to the Lord this year? We are not talking about discipleship now. Because it's easy to jump on that bandwagon of we, we, we must first sort out the discipleship course. And no. How many, this, how many people have you led to the Lord since the beginning of 2023? We're not even going to 2022, 2021. We're talking about 2023. It's almost Easter. How many souls have you led to the Lord this year? Further on, Paul says in verse 20, and I will just read this now. Because I see time is... To the Jews I became like a Jew. To win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law. Though I am not, not free from God's law. But under Christ's law. In other words we are saved by faith. By grace. We don't have to do good works. We can just come in repentance to the Lord and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can call upon His name and believe in Him and we will be saved. We can talk about baptism next time. <laughs> so as to win, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak. To win the weak, I've become all things to all people. So that by all means possible or necessary, I might save some. I do this all, or I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Over to the last point. So what is the motivation then? Being a sharer or a partner in the gospel. Verse 24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but... 
Only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. In other words, you cannot win souls for the Lord if you're not putting in effort. Paul is using an athletic analogy to this to illustrate the importance of making a special effort to evangelize. Verse 25 says, everyone who competes in the games goes on to strict training. Goes into strict training. The purpose why any athlete would train is to rid themselves of anything that could hinder them on the day of the competition. It could be weight, it could be being unfit, it could be lack of skill or technique, and so they need to brush up on the skills and the technique. But in a spiritual sense, what could it be? What could possibly hinder you and I from sharing our faith with the next person? Disobedience to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That is, I think, the number one. But I'm not an expert on why believers don't evangelize. Just my, I think, disobedience to the Holy Spirit is one. Then, we can also hide behind unhealthy teachings or unhealthy doctrines. We can also have a lack of burdens to see others come to Christ. In Afrikaans, they call it a silalas. Once it is silalas. Or whatever it is, it is areas we need to grow in. It is areas we need to allow God to restore us and mend us. And that is our training ground. And if it is sin, because my take is also that Satan will use any means necessary to prevent you from sharing your faith with the next person. Because your faith and sharing the gospel to someone can lead to that person's salvation. That's what happened to me. Someone shared the gospel with me. Someone testified about the Lord to me. And then I bowed my knee and confessed the Lord as my personal Savior. And so Satan knows the moment we start preaching the gospel, not in the sense of taking a mic and preaching in someone's face, but sharing the testimony of what the Lord has done in your life, and he's just evangelizing. He knows. He knows. Once that person sees the light, once Jesus starts becoming a reality to that person, it can lead to that person's salvation. Oh yes, oh yes. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so Satan knows. He wants you to be in a position that God is not pleased with you. And yes, it is because of sin, but if you have no faith, how's your relationship with the Lord? Because God says in His Word, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so the devil doesn't want you to speak to someone and inspire faith in them. And by the way, your faith must be Word-based. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, it's, Without faith it's impossible to please God. Romans 10 verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So when we share our faith, we're not faffing around and talking about a rugby match and whatever the case. We are talking about the gospel. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. Our faith must reflect God's word. 
So sharpen yourselves in these areas so that you can be effective in the kingdom of God. And this is what Paul is saying. Go into strict training. Prepare yourself so that when you are on the field one day and need to share your faith, you will be in a position to do it effectively. And obviously the Lord will undertake because we don't save people. The Lord saves. We are just the, the heralds. We are just the messengers. The messengers or the ones doing the evangelism. There is a lot at stake here. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, not on our problems, not on our church, not on politics, not even on what's happening tomorrow. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Coming back to verse 25. They do it. Why do they train? Why do they partake? They do it to get the crown that will not last in an athletic sense. But we do it to get the crown that will last forever. Speaking of the gift. The free gift of salvation. Which James also mentions in James chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I do not run like someone aimlessly. Let's be intentional in what we do, otherwise, we are no better than church hoppers who go to church, from church to church, seeking I don't know what, but not wanting to commit to the body of Christ, not wanting to be held accountable, not contributing to the life of the church. And I'm not just talking financially. I'm talking about gifts and availability. And this is very prevalent among young people my age. Paul says, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The best way to sum this up is Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What, it doesn't matter if you are evangelizing on a daily. If you are not saved. Then what's the point? Then what's the point? So as I conclude. Let's be grateful. That we are the side of the cross. If you are the side of the cross. Having been born again. We are in a position to reach the lost because we recognize that we too were lost and can clearly state a moment of our salvation. Great and praise the Lord. Now go and share your faith. Nick Eaton? Mm. Go and share your faith. Go share your testimony of salvation. And you're not going, and if you're not going to, then why not? What possible justification can we give to not share our faith with other people? As individuals and as a church, corporately as well. As a congregation, give to the Lord cheerfully. Not just financially, but yourself. Yourself. Let's be like Paul. That even though we had challenges, even though the church didn't maybe treat him the best, he was still committed to the task that the Lord has called him to. Before I close, 
I want to make you aware of something. I don't know if you probably heard of it, or, but there is this stigma going around that Baptist churches don't take care of their pastors. And I've heard it a couple of times. And it's not a nice thing as a Baptist pastor to hear. And then, in the background, Baptist pastors are getting calls from other denominations and asking if they are interested, and we say no. Because we have a clear sense of call to that which the Lord has called us. And we still say yes to the call every day. But this doesn't make the church exempt from treating their pastor according to the word. That doesn't, this doesn't mean because a pastor is willing to serve and lay down his life for the church, that the church can do and make what they want. I'm not saying this because I'm Pastor Allen's friend, but this is an aspect which the scripture deals with. And although it's uncomfortable, but we have to deal with it because it's in the word. At the same time, I want to encourage those of us who are called to ministry Let us learn from Paul to make ourselves a slave to man so the gospel can be advanced by by voluntarily ministering in God's vineyard and let us be driven by divine compulsion of the Holy Spirit. Let us preach the word. Let us preach the gospel. And to those of us, both leaders and members, if we have busy lives, remember Paul was a maker. Paul also struggled and he had to face persecution. But he never, he still said, I would rather die than not preach the gospel. I would rather have a life of suffering than not preach the gospel. Ministry is done so that others can come to salvation, period. Not for us to stand out. Not for us to compete with other churches or other denominations. Not for us to prove against the stigma that Baptist pastors don't, that Baptist churches don't treat their pastors well. It's not even about that. It is so that others can come to Christ, period. And so God's word, I believe, doesn't return void. Jesus said he will build his church and God will add to his church daily, like he did and has been doing since the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God is still saving, it is still God's will that every man comes to salvation. But are we proclaiming that? Are we proclaiming that? I'm done. The role of the believer in the gospel is to preach the gospel by becoming a slave to man for the sake of the advancement of the gospel and the motivation being that you yourself, you yourself will inherit the crown of life. That you yourself will find yourself in the presence the day the Lord calls you home. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that makes us sometimes feel uncomfortable, that can also nourish us at the same time. It can bring us into alignment, Lord. It can, it can sober us up. And Father, I thank you for the ministry of your word this morning. I pray, Father God, that those who have heard your word would have heard from you, Lord, and not so much my voice or what I have to say, but that you have spoken to your church. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will continue to be the after-preacher of your word in the name of Jesus. Father, for those who are struggling in their faith, 
who are battling to share their, their faith, Lord, I pray that you will inspire them, that you will give them boldness in the name of Jesus to reach others, to reach the lost for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.